Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Let's start with the question our team has been working over this past week. Is the APEC Summit going to feel like a big deal in San Francisco? And the answer is yes, very big. APEC, the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, one of those meetings of world leaders where they talk trade and other things, begins at the end of the week in the city. It'll bring nearly 30,000 visitors, a big meeting between Joe Biden and Xi Jinping, and a boatload of protests and roadblocks to San Francisco. So today, we're going to talk about the local impacts of the summit on our daily lives here. Then we'll dig into what economic cooperation really means. What's this meeting about and what does it mean for the world? Mayor London Breed coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. So the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit arrives here in San Francisco later this week. APEC, as it is known, is one of those big multi-country groups that come together to discuss trade and, to a lesser extent, diplomacy. San Francisco has long been an important node in the economic circuitry of the Pacific, and the whole region has been transformed culturally and demographically by the West Coast's relationship with Asia. To begin, you should know the APEC Summit is the largest gathering of international leaders in the city since 1940s. That's a big enough deal that for a few days, a lane of the Bay Bridge in each direction will be closed. There'll be a variety of sideline meetings and world leaders wandering through the city. That is to say, it's a moment for San Francisco on the global stage. So we begin with San Francisco Mayor London Breed. Welcome, Mayor Breed. Thanks for joining us again. Of course. Good morning. So how significant do you see APEC as for the city and for our region? Well, I see it as significant, not just because the world leaders and the delegates from countries in 21 economies will be descending on San Francisco, but we anticipate that there will be over 2,200 press from around the world. Hmm. So there'll be many people in San Francisco writing stories, talking about their experiences. And, you know, we expect this to generate over $53 million to our local economy, whether it's hotel tax revenue or our restaurants and other things. So this is going to be big for San Francisco, mostly because we will be on an international stage and people can see for themselves directly rather than the viral videos and other little tidbits that they tend to run with, they will see for their sel- themselves exactly what San Francisco is all about. Yeah. What image of the city do you want the world to see? Well, I want them to see the truth that like any other major city, we have challenges. We have challenges that we're addressing. And in fact, 
there were 250 delegates who advanced many of the APEC economies that came here, and we showed them the entire city. And they said, we have similar problems in where we come from, and we're looking forward to coming to San Francisco. I want them to see the truth about San Francisco, that like any other major city, we have challenges, but it is still an incredible city. It's a beautiful city. It's where all the talent is. It's where the artificial intelligence uh, is, is really taken off in San Francisco, unlike any place else in the world. They're going to see that San Francisco is exactly where they want to do business, where they want to have conventions, and where people want to visit and explore our various tourist attractions. Yeah. So, you know, we are expecting a lot of protests of APEC. It's happened in other uh, cities where the group has met and also where other, you know, big trade meetings have happened. I mean, how do you strike a balance between having people let their voices be heard, particularly in a place like San Francisco, famous for uh, its political activism, with the need for the you know security for these world leaders? Well, we're going to have to do do both, and we anticipate from the very beginning that there will be protest, and we need to be prepared for that so that the public is able to protest freely um, and safely. And part of that also is, you know, there are certain delegate, uh, there are certain protections that will be provided for the leaders of these various companies, including the president of the United States. So mm -hmm. we understand the need to balance them both. We have both our federal partners, our state partners, including the California Highway Patrol, and we have support from law enforcement from other jurisdictions throughout the state of California. So we plan to be prepared and we plan to make sure that everyone is able to do what they want to do in a safe way. Yeah. You know, the city, uh, according to local reporting, you know, has been cracking down on street vendors, taking other measures to prepare for the event. And some people have criticized the cleanup as just being about trying to hide the city's problems. I mean, how do you respond to that? Well, my response is the problems still exist. We're not hiding the problems. And at the end of the day, San Franciscans and visitors and others, they want the streets to be clean and they want the people who are on the streets to be helped. And the fact is, that is what we have consistently been doing. We have not deviated from our ultimate goal. I mean, since 2018, for example, we've gotten over 10,000 people off the streets that have exited homelessness permanently. And we have never had in any point in time count over 10,000 people ever in our point in time count. And we were the only city in the Bay Area that saw any reduction, including 15% in unsheltered homelessness, a reduction when everyone else saw an increase. So we want to continue to do the work that we're doing. Um, and it's hard work. We got a lot of dedicated city employees who are out there all the time trying to clean up the streets of San Francisco. It's not just about APEC. It's about our communities. It's about the money that conventions and tourism generates to help support this population. So we can't have it both ways. Something has to pay for the challenges that continue to impact the streets of San Francisco. So we have to make sure that, yes, people have good experiences, but we are not going to let up on the work that we have done and will continue to do to put our best foot forward, no matter if APEC or anything else is happening in San Francisco, to ensure cleanliness and safety. So there's going to be exclusion zones um, in different parts of the city, particularly around Moscone. Um, Pamela, who's a local business owner, uh, writes to say, how do businesses in the exclusion zone obtain information on how to access their buildings during the conference? We've contacted several city agencies multiple times and have not received any response. 
Well, I think the best thing to do is to call 311. Um, 311 is a tool that we're using to communicate, but I will tell you that we have sent a bit of a strike team out to community to go business to business, to meet with various residents in their buildings, especially many of our seniors. People are not gonna be excluded from accessing their businesses. There will be limitations around vehicles, but I think that there's a lot of misinformation that folks won't be able to come into the area. People will be able to come into the area and I think part of it is depending on the proximity of where things are and when street closures happen, we want to be able to make sure that people understand what the limitations might be. I think the biggest challenge we're going to run into, especially with restaurants, is a lot of restaurants are on platforms like DoorDash and mm -hmm. other things where they get you know, people who are coming in on scooters, grabbing things and delivering. That is definitely going to be impacted. Mm. So ultimately, we hope that many of the delegates and folks who are attending this conference will support our local businesses and, and, and the surrounding area. But please call 311. They should have information um, and also someone for uh, to, to talk to a business in particular about ways in which the city could be supportive through this process. We're only talking about potentially, potentially a minimum of maybe three days, maybe even four days where this area might be shut. But more than likely, we're only talking about, you know, really three days here. So who makes these kind of calls about how the exclusion zone is going to work? Is that like you working with SFPD? Is that Secret Service? Like who, who's making those calls? Well, the, the Secret Service is making the decision about the perimeter based on information that they have on, you know, the leaders, where the leaders will be, um, the different routes and other things. Um, we unfortunately have no real say other than they provide us with um, exactly what we need to do. and they expect us to implement it. And so that's how that's worked. We, th they have been um, very cooperative with us and providing us as much information as, can, as they can. We, we, in some cases, have you know, tried to push back on some of the uh, various uh, requests that they've made because we want to minimize the disruption on our public transportation system, on our residents as much as we possibly can. Uh, but ultimately, they um, need to ensure the safety of these various leaders. And so we're doing everything we can uh, to accommodate the request. And there will be uh, challenges. There will be disruptions. Um, this is something that will happen whether we want it to or not. And my hope is that people will be understanding. We're talking about the upcoming APEC summit, which you haven't, if you haven't heard about it, it's a big deal. A lot of world leaders coming to the city, coming to San Francisco. We're talking with Mayor London Breed. We want to hear from you. Do you have questions about what's happening or are you, are you planning on, you know, um, getting involved in some way around APEC? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We've got Marilyn and Breed Forum at kqed.org. You can find us on all the various social things. Um, Mayor Breed, Jennifer Friedenbach um, of the SF Coalition on Homelessness was quoted in the Chronicle today saying, as far as I know, they're not evicting the housed people out of the security zone, but they will be uh, evicting the unhoused people out of the exclusion zone. That's a very unequal treatment, she's saying. She said the city should be paying for one-week hotel stays for people displaced. What, what's your approach to the people who are unhoused, who are inside the zone where this summit's going to be occurring? Well, our goal is to offer shelter to people. And let's be real, people are not completely accepting our offers of shelter. And oftentimes, 
when we're out there clearing out these encampments, we're discovering that we're already paying for housing for some of these individuals. So if we had done exactly what... Um, but isn't, um, there a, isn't there a wait list on shelter beds? The so, shelter beds are one thing, but we yeah. also have places where we're putting people directly off the streets into housing and into some of our single room occupancy hotels. Mm -hmm. So we have beds, we have availability, and it's not just about shelter. It's about other options that we have. Like, I'll give you an example. We were in an alleyway where right around the corner, um, there was a couple who was a senior couple, and they had at least four spaces in the senior housing development. We were able to actually walk the couple around the corner and to house them on that same day. So it, it's 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 not as simple as it's just a shelter bed. We have more options than just shelter beds. Yeah. You know, so what does a successful APEC look like for you, Mayor Breed? A successful APEC, what it looks like for me is that um, everyone is able to do what they intend to do in a safe way, whether it's the folks who are attending the CEO summit and the various events, going to our restaurants, shopping and our various shopping areas and, and visiting our locations. And, and I want everyone to do so safely. I want uh, even the folks who are planning to protest for them to be able to do so safely as well. And so our streets are clean, everyone's safe, and the city and county of San Francisco, as they always have done, continues to make sure that we are out there um, taking care of those who are still struggling because it's not just about homelessness. We have so many people who are suffering from addiction. That is really one of our biggest challenges right now, especially with the number of lives that are being lost uh, to overdoses, yeah. uh, fentanyl in particular. So our goal is to make sure that we're doing everything we can to ensure that uh, folks who are participating do so safely. And after it's over, we could be happy that maybe some of the stories yeah. that are written are the accurate truth about San Francisco. Um, and that as a result, we get additional business yeah. relationships from it. We get more tourists. We get more conventions. We are going to run out of body. time, Mayor Breed. I'm Alexis Madrig. We're talking about the upcoming Apex Summit with Mayor London Breed. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Um, Mayor Breed, um, just before we, we let you go, um, just wanted to have you reiterate how you want people to try and get in touch with the city if they you know, encounter road closures or exclusions on stuff that, that is confusing to them or they don't know what to do. 
Well, I just ask people to call 311. Um, they should be able to trouble, troubleshoot, answer questions, give feedback. We may not have all of the answers to the very complex questions that we receive, but we will do everything we can to be as responsive. It will be an inconvenience, but my hope is that we'll see San Francisco shine on the international stage, which will generate the revenues necessary to continue to support our economy here in San Francisco. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Mayor Breed. Appreciate it. Thank you. I want to bring in another voice into our conversation, Rachel Myro, senior editor with our Silicon Valley News Desk here at KQED, who has also been closely covering this APEC event. Welcome, Rachel. Hey, Alexis. How's it going? Good, good. So, I mean, you've been talking to experts about APEC and what they think it will mean for the Bay Area economy. What, what have they said and what did you learn? Well, it's a very big deal on three scores. Sorry to give you a list, but, you know, think about I'll it. Take For it. one, <laughs> Silicon Valley very much looks west across the Pacific. For two, so does trade, manufacturing, retail. I guess that's three things there. <laughs> For three or whatever number you want to give it, there's tourism, as we just heard Mayor London Breed saying earlier. The attendees themselves should make a big splash in terms of hotel rooms and restaurants and ancillary trips up and down the coast. One economist uh, I talked to told me just the fact APEC didn't land in Las Vegas this year can be considered an economic coup for San Francisco. <laughs> Uh, also, that would be slightly embarrassing for America, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, um, Rachel, um, do we think this is a short-term kind of boost to the economy, like it's just a bunch of people coming through? Or do we actually think that this kind of thing it can build long-term relationships for our you know, local economy here? Well, I mean, the long-term relationships are already there. They're already baked in because of all those different economic sectors I just mentioned. Uh, but for tourism, I, I think the mayor is is right in thinking this is a very big deal because, you know, it no surprise to anybody listening to this program, right? The the urban doom loop narrative has been dominating national headlines. And if San Francisco can go some way to countering that with stories by domestic and foreign reporters saying, hey, you know, I don't know, it can't be said, you know, it's not so bad, but but maybe San Francisco is, as the mayor suggested, dealing with these issues. Uh, that could be a positive boon to uh, to the city and to the local area around the Bay Area in general, because uh, goodness knows that, you know, if you've walked the streets of downtown on a weekend night or Chinatown, I was just there last weekend. It's so quiet and it needs not to be. Yeah. I mean, it's also hopefully people get to see just the pure natural beauty of the place as well. And I, I still last Friday, you know, drove across the city with one of our producers, you know, from the Golden Gate Park back into the mission. It is still like just absolutely stunning uh, as a place. Um, Rachel, uh, local corporations, of course, kick in for something like this, right? They want to be sort of sponsors. They want to be a, a part of what's going on. Um, but there was one particularly uh, large donation from a local casino that raised some eyebrows. Can you tell us about that? Yes, indeed. Uh, the largest donor we're aware of so far to the city's efforts to put on a good show uh, the Federated Indians of Grattan Rapturia. Uh, as you mentioned, a tribe based in Ronert Park uh, that contributed more than half a, four and a half million dollars. 
it's not as bizarre as you might think at first glance, right? 20 to 30,000 visitors expected. Some of those folks are going to like to gamble. Some of those folks would rent a car or a bus to get to the tribe's casino. It, you know, it, it makes sense in that regard that this is a giant bid for advertising. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On the sort of other side of things, there's quite a few protests planned. There have been uh, different coalitions that have been organizing things. What uh, groups have you heard are planning to demonstrate and what are the kind of key issues that they're trying to uh, to highlight? Well, the Bay Area loves to demonstrate, loves to protest, right? No surprise there. I would I would break it down into three separate categories of anticipated uh, protests. Number one, Anytime you have leaders of authoritarian regimes coming to town, you're going to have local communities, Chinese, Filipino, for instance, that want to make a loud noise to say we are not okay with what you're doing back home and nobody else in America should be either, including President Joe Biden. Ditto for those who feel APEC is just an economic schmooze fest for the rich. And it's icky that San Francisco is falling all over itself to play host. And the third category includes people eager to make more noise about the horrors going on in the Middle East and Ukraine, for instance, and to encourage world leaders to hear and share their sympathies. Let's bring in uh, some local folks who are uh, thinking through some of these things around APEC. Uh, Paul in San Francisco, welcome. Yes, uh, Mayor Breen has to be concerned about all San Franciscans, about the business climate here and also we are a tourist destination we don't have heavy industry here we have tech industry and tourism that's our economy has been and also mayor breed has other people to be concerned about than just the opinion to jennifer friedenbach who doesn't seem to care about the health of the city only is concerned about one small aspect of our city yeah. hey paul uh Appreciate uh, your perspective there. Let's uh, let's go to uh, Janelle in uh, Oakland. Welcome. Hey, Janelle, can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say that I just want to call appreciative attention to all of the preparation that um, the San Francisco Fire Department and Police Department and all the first responders have gone into making this like, they're going to be doing their regular jobs and dealing with what we hope becomes a positive impact on San Francisco's economy. And I just want to remind listeners out there that if your standard economy doesn't include supporting um, first responders and services like the fire department and police department, it's really hard to host effectively and to show that we can do this safely um, and manage larger um, uh, occurrences um, on the one-off times like APEC. So regardless of whether you're supporting uh, APEC or demonstrating it, you're going to be supported by the appropriate first responders, and that's to be lauded as well in an economy. Hey, Janelle, uh, appreciate your perspective as well. We're talking about the upcoming APEC Summit, which you haven't heard about it. You're about to hear a lot about it, not just on this show, but as uh, things really get rolling at the end of the week and into next week, there's going to be a lot of disruption to people's lives and a lot of uh, folks in the city, you know, tens of thousands of uh, people. And we've also got uh, big uh, exclusion zones around the Moscone Center, as well as like uh, lane closures on the Bay Bridge. So... If you haven't gotten used, we're trying to give you a little preview here uh, of, of what's coming your way. Um, let's go to uh, Camilo in San Francisco. 
Hi, yes. Um, you know, we're calling to ask Mayor Breed why she's prioritizing this kind of celebration and embrace of human rights violators who are among the worst state actors in the world, like the presidents of the Philippines and Peru, and welcoming President Biden at the same time as the U.S. is deepening its complicity with genocide against the people of Palestine. Why is Mayor Breed betraying San Francisco's legacy as a human rights city for a pile of extra coins? Well, Camilla, one thing I can uh, tell you um, is that that Mayor Breed didn't like, you know, invite these folks to the town. That this is a uh, the the summit in general. Like they don't, they're not in charge of of that piece of it. Um, but that Mayor Breed also uh, is 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 back, uh, you know, running the city. She's gone, um, just for what it's worth. Rachel Myro, um, maybe you can take this. I mean, how how have um, city officials responded to this idea that you know? that the world leaders should not gather here in San Francisco? Well, you know, it, it, as you just mentioned, uh, it's not up to, uh, to city leaders to decide who's on the guest list. It's not going to be, it would not have been a surprise to them when they made the bid to host it this year uh, that there are some pretty nasty customers on that guest list. Um, but, but uh, you know, it, it's, um, and I'm not, I'm not going to defend it. <laughs> I'm not going to say that it it, it is, uh, anything more than what it has historically been. Uh, I I will speak to protests and you know the fact that authorities have said, uh, you know, look if, if you're uh, here to protest peacefully, uh, we're we're going to uh, allow you to exercise your First Amendment rights. That that coming uh, graciously or predictably, depending on how you see it from, you know, uh, the San Francisco Police Department, uh, also uh, the U.S. Secret Service. Uh, but, you know, it is is that going to be how it plays out? We're going to kind of have to wait and see. I, my guess is that that uh, security uh, officials are mindful of the fact that the Bay Area loves to protest, loves to come out and protest. Uh, demands it really, and so it's it's hard to imagine that being shut down out of some you know uh, desire to keep everybody quiet while guests are here. You know, is is there a chance that this ends up looking like WTO in Seattle in nineteen ninety nine? Does it seem like there's that level of of organizing activity going on, or no? You know, I I can't say. You know, my 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 hope is certainly as a citizen, as a as a resident of the Bay Area, that things don't turn violent. Um, you know, it's it's quite possible to make sure your message gets heard loudly, uh, both domestically and abroad, uh, by you know placing that protest anywhere near where APEC is happening, which is to say the Moscone Center. Um, but you know, remains to be seen. Yeah. Uh, one listener wanted to write in uh, and say, what are the specific dates and times of the Bay Bridge lane closures? And per Caltrans, we're talking uh, left lane of eastbound I-80, right lane westbound I-80. And that's going to be Tuesday, November 14th through Friday, November 17th, beginning at 5 a.m. and ending at 9 p.m. Yes, that's right. <laughs> there are going to be lanes closed during uh, the the work week, November 14th uh, through uh, Friday, November 17th. So just be aware. Um, 
Let's bring in uh, Vinod Agarwal, who's a professor of political science and director of the Berkeley Apex Study Center. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yeah. Vinod, I, I thought maybe you could answer um, our caller Camilo kind of to get started. I mean, Camilo basically asked, like, why bring together uh, leaders that uh, Camilo disagreed with strongly and sees as authoritarian, like, you know, in the in the Philippines. Why, why bring those people to a city or why even bring them, you know, into this kind of um, multilateral cooperation summit? Well, I think if we didn't deal with authoritarian leaders, we'd have very few people to talk to. And so I think that's not the way international relations works. I'm not endorsing any authoritarian leader, including any that might come into power in the United States. But I think the basic point is we need to deal with the world as it is, not a fantasy as the world we'd like to be in. And the reality is that there are a lot of leaders who are authoritarian, unelected, and we still have to do business with them in the real world. So let's we'll step back from that and just say... What is APEC and why did APEC really get created? I mean, people may have a sense of other um, trade organizations over time. I think most people know WTO before that, GATT and, and other things. So where does APEC fit into that kind of map? Well, it's a long evolution. I mean, GATT was created in 1947, and it was to promote international trade, which had some positive effects on democracy as well as development in the developing countries as well. And I think GATT began to have problems in the Uruguay round, which was taking place after 1986. And during the Uruguay round, people were concerned that the trade round might collapse. And that was one of, the, I think, the eighth round of the trade negotiations. We had multiple rounds over the years, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And the Uruguay round is a very important round because it brought together lots of countries, the developing world and developed world. So I think with the rise of the European Union becoming more integrated and the European Union was trying to get together, there was a real concern that we would break up into a world of three blocks an EU block, an Asian block, and kind of an America's block, because there's also the US-Canada agreement that took place in 1987-88. So I think the idea of APEC, which was not promoted by the United States, was actually promoted by the Australians and the Japanese, in part because the Australians wanted to become a greater part of Asia, participate more in Asia, because Asia was growing very rapidly. So they said, hey, hey, mate, we're Asians now, which is rather ironic because they had a whites only policy until the 70s. But be that as it may, they became very enthusiastic participants in Asia. So there was anxiety about the fact that the blocks might fail. There were trade disputes between the United States, China, Japan, etc. going on. And so and we were concerned with our relations with Europe. So the idea was, let's create an agreement uh, which will talk about free trade issues, which will not be an actual trade negotiating body, which will be a forum for negotiations. And that's why APIC was created in 1989. In 1990, Ch uh, China joined, and then uh, Taiwan joined as Chinese Taipei, and Hong Kong joined. And that's why they're called members, and that's why they're not called countries. So the biggest faux pas mm -hmm. in front of Chinese person is to say the 21 countries of APEC. So I always even forget myself, even though I've been doing APEC for so long, you should just say 21 economies or 21 member states. 
20 members, not even states, because they're not states. So we have this creation of APEC. Then there was a discussion of trying to get APEC to become more like a free trade area of the Asia Pacific. And that was an idea that let's create a free trade area of the Asia Pacific. And that was discussions that were taking place in the 2000s to have 2005, 2006, and let's have a free trade area. And I was actually against that, not because I don't think it's good to have a free trade area. I just didn't think it was politically feasible. <clears throat> so what I suggested is that APEX is stick do what it does well, which is a forum for the discussion of ideas, for elaborating new ideas, for thinking about things that could be negotiated in the WTO, which is a negotiating forum. So after the FTAP failed, people lost interest in, in, uh, the, in APEC, and we started having development of things like TPP. Uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership in the mid-2000s. Mm. And that was going very well, I thought, under the Obama administration. And we also had a second agreement, TTIP, which was an agreement with the Europeans. And when Trump came into office, he basically stopped TPP and he stopped uh, the TTIP negotiations with the Europeans, which is like shooting yourself in the foot. Like, why would the Americans not want to have a, a strong arrangement with the Asians and a strong agreement with the Europeans? So well, it's somehow, also interesting, too, right, because at least yeah. a lot of arguments on the left against free trade have been that the U.S. has uh, that the U.S. itself has kind of used its weight to extract concessions from other countries that un, that disproportionately benefit the United States. Well, I mean, I'm not sure that's entirely true. If you look at the developing world, they've done extremely well. If you look at China, Japan, Korea, all these countries have benefited from free trade. India, as it's opened up, has benefited from free trade. I think the problem fundamentally is that in the United States, we do not have proper domestic adjustment assistance. If I ran for president, I would run on domestic adjustment assistance. And that's no catchy. Catchy, Vinod. Yeah. No one would vote for me. Uh, maybe three people would vote for me. But the fundamental problem of globalization is that if we don't help people adjust and become from a Michigan steel worker, I went to the University of Michigan, from a Michigan steel worker to a nurse, which is a high paying profession, we're not going to be able to have free trade. So my liberal economist friends, liberal in the open market sense, don't really understand that adjustment doesn't take place automatically. Mm -hmm. And other countries like Sweden have open uh, labor market policies, active labor market policies, and they are able to be more free trade oriented than we are because actually people when they lose their job are not going to starve and are they going to have a pension. Yeah. So well, I think fundamentally we need to reconcile our domestic political economy with the global political economy. You can't have one without the other. We're talking about the upcoming APEC Summit, which kicks off in San Francisco this week. We're joined by Vinod Agarwal, who's a professor of political science and director of the Berkeley APEC Study Center. Also joined by Rachel Myro, senior editor at Silicon Valley News Desk here at KQD, following APEC for the station. And earlier we were joined by Mayor London Breed. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the upcoming APEC summit, including disruptions to local life and the sort of ethics of these kinds of summits. Uh, we're joined by Rachel Myro, senior editor with Silicon Valley News Desk, uh, covering things for uh, KQED here, as well as Vinod Agarwal, who's a professor of political science and director of the Berkeley APEC uh, Study Center. I want to go back to uh, the phones. Uh, Helena in Fremont, welcome. Hi, thank you. Great discussion from all the panelists. So both myself and my daughter, who is a high schooler, actually signed up for the volunteer for this great APEC event. So I heard the the other caller talking about because we have different opinions, especially political opinions, and then therefore we should really do not prioritize any economic uh, events or activity before any political opinions are solved or resolved. Um, as a professional working in financial industry for 20 years, and as a person coming from different country, I came from China a long time ago, with knowing the old activities in different countries and in the world, I strongly disagree with that. I do feel that we do have the different opinion on political side, but that should not make us halt any um, economic cooperation, because once we stop everything, then we cannot move forward. I do think APEC is going to be a great bridge to have people and the leaders from different countries to mingle. And this can be an official plus an official channel for them to talk through those differences, and it could provide an opportunity to move forward. So that's my, um, my thought on that. Thank Halina, you very much. Yeah, Helena, thank you so much uh, for that. I mean, you know, Vinod Agarwal, I, I think, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s, the idea that, you know, economic cooperation would lead to both political stability and maybe within authoritarian countries would uh, lead to kind of a liberalization and uh, democratic movement. Um, it feels like the case is shakier for that now. What do you think? Well, I think the case was always shaky. I think there was a fantasy that just because we had free trade or free market economies, we would suddenly have democracy. And I don't think that's the case. I think in, in countries that did be, have free trade and open markets, where there there were cases where we did have democracy, like Chile and look like South Korea. So that's not it's not a hard and fast rule. And politics is not like electrical engineering, which is also not always hard and fast. There are things that happen that are unexpected. And so the idea, I think it, we put too much faith that somehow only open markets and free markets would somehow lead the, everyone to become a Democrat. And that's not the case. And so I think if we put too much weight on that, we'll go the wrong way. Just having said that, just because there's some countries that are not as you know liberal as we are, I hope we're becoming more democratic rather than less democratic, which seems to be the case. We are becoming less democratic. But in any case, countries need to chat with each other, need to talk with each other. And APEC provides a forum. It's not a negotiating uh, activity. 
activity. It's not the World Trade Organization. It's aware where leaders get together. I agree with the previous caller who said we still need to have discussions about trade and investment and the like. And APEC has gone beyond that to discuss environmental issue, inclusion, digital technology, and all of these things are important for the global economy. They're important for everyone, rich or poor. And I think how these is evolving, how this is evolving is very important and something that APEC can contribute to. Hmm. You know, in that context, how significant is the Biden Xi Jinping meeting in in APEX context? I think it's very significant. I think the fact that there'll be a lot of leaders here in San Francisco is good for San Francisco. It's good for American policy. It's good for Chinese policy. And the the, the best advantage of APEC is that it allows leaders to meet who otherwise would not. And, you know, instead of having a big discussion, when should there be this major summit, they can just meet on the sidelines of APEC. So I think APEC, it sounds strange, its greatest contribution is to have leaders meet regularly once a year. Now, sometimes leaders don't go. Putin and did not go to the last meeting for various reasons, obvious reasons having to do with Ukraine. But in general, the fact that leaders are meeting without any pressure to set up a summit is good because there's an automatic summit every year in November of every year in a different country. Next year will be Peru, the year after it'll be Korea. And so that's actually a good thing that leaders get together and meet. They don't have to have a fixed agenda. They have to come Technically, they're supposed to come because it's an APEC meeting. And unlike the WTO or unlike C, let's look at some other organizations. TPP, which has now become CPTPP with the British joining, does not include the United States because we withdrew. If we look at RCEP, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, that includes China, does not include the United States. So these forums do not include the possibility of Americans meeting with the Chinese in an organized fashion to discuss not only trade and investment, but other issues. APEC provides that forum, and that's why I think it's really great if President Xi will come here, which still hasn't been fully confirmed, but it looks like it will happen. And if Biden and he can talk about key issues, I think that will help to decrease tensions between the United States and China. What do you say to people like our listener, Julie, who writes in to say, you know, people need to know that APEC is a place where heads of large corporations like Chevron get the ear of political leaders behind closed doors without any input of people who are deeply affected by their decisions, including devastatingly harmful climate and labor decisions and without anything going through Congress. It's all about profit and not people. Well, you should participate in the NGO meetings for APEC. You should participate in the APEC study centers meeting. And we are not part of the corporate plotting to take over the world part. There are lots of other uh, non-governmental organizations that are involved with APEC. And they have a very important role to play to put pressure on companies, to put pressures on governments. And in a democratic system, that's what we have. And I don't think APEC is some secretive organization that's taking place where the leaders and the corporations are meeting. There is a business advisory council, but there are other social advisory councils. There are labor advisory councils. There are academic councils. Maybe we don't get listened to as much. Speaking as an academic, I'd like to think they listen to us more. But (laughs) I think every group has a voice. That's what it means to be in a democracy, that different groups have voices in this thing. Now, if this was some secretive meeting taking place in some backwater room, this is taking place in public view in San Francisco. So I wouldn't agree with the reader. I think the, 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 the writer, of the that commenter, the speaker, I would say, come to these meetings, see what's going on, and and see if you can participate. And if you I know, can just jump yeah, in sure, go ahead, for Rachel. a second here, Alexis. I mean, you know, we're kidding ourselves if we think that corporate leaders aren't whispering into the ears of political leaders mm-hmm. here and abroad on a regular basis. They don't need APEC for that kind of access. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Um, you know, one one question I had for you, Vinod, was, you know, there are really big economies that are part of APEC, and then there's some some smaller ones as well in the in the member economies, as I guess we're supposed to call it. Um, is this a forum where those smaller emerging economies are able to have productive conversations with, like, say, the U.S. and China? Yes, I think that's it's an amazing opportunity for them to have this uh, this kind of impact. And we have to realize that TPP, which is the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which the United States withdrew from, which had 12 countries in the initial negotiations, and then uh, the U.S. withdrew, drawing, dropping it down to 11, was not an American initiative. It wasn't a Chinese initiative. China's not even a member. It was actually an initiative by Singapore, Chile, and New Zealand. So small countries can help to set the agenda within the context of APEC. And in fact, in this case, they set the context which led to a very important trade negotiating forum, which actively took place. And then the U.S. joined later on, actually. And so we got TPP. So I think the fact that small countries can have a voice in these meetings is very important. Otherwise, you can just have bilateral summits between the United States and China or the United States and Japan and Korea, and small countries never have a voice. This provides them a great voice to have a say. And I think that's why APIC is useful because it brings together not only large countries, but medium countries and very small countries as well, or members as well. So I think that's very critical. Yeah. Um, let's bring in another caller, Rick in uh, Citrus Heights, California. Welcome. Yes, welcome to you, uh, Alexis. Um, I just wanted to point out uh, my main comment is with regards to things being made in China, Taiwan, and Vietnam. Uh, we need to stop having American companies make things in China, Taiwan, and Vietnam. Not just the housewares and uh, things that we use in our bathrooms, kitchens, and stuff like that, but also, and for those of you podiatrists with the American Podiatric Medical Association, and for those, in, those who are federal employees with Medicare, please listen to this. I am forced to wear shoes made in China all because Medicare wants me to wear them because of the diabetes. They won't let me wear my American-made shoes. The shoes made from China, one foot veers to the left, the other foot veers to the right. And the last thing I want to say is people in personal vehicles, get out of your cars, join us on Amtrak, BART, uh, Caltrain, Smart, and Greyhound in Muni. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate that. Um, let's take the first uh, bit of what Rick was saying. Uh, Vinod, go, go here first. You know, there has been a resurgence in the United States of, you know, I guess what people call industrial policy sometimes trying to make trying to kind of direct manufacturing and the American economy in, in certain directions to, as a general rule, making more stuff. Um, how do you think that effort has gone so far? Is it mostly talk or is it actually generating you know, kind of structural changes in the economy? I think it's a combination. I think the problem is that unlike China, Korea, and Japan, which were very successful in promoting industrial policy in the United States, it's much more difficult to do so. And the main reason is that we are a very vibrant democracy, and we also have a lot of corporate lobbying, going back to the earlier question. So what happens is this becomes a boondoggle for various uh, companies to get benefits. And it's very difficult for the government to control that. I think the Biden administration has done a pretty good job in trying to promote uh, energy 
energy industry and the green industry, but it's not always possible to do that. So I, I do think having some industrial policy makes some sense. I think it's useful to have semiconductors also be produced in the United States and not have everything outsourced to the rest of the world. I don't think it makes sense to produce everything in the world in the United States because we've seen that autarkic policies don't get you anywhere. In fact, the United States become great became great because we were able to export around the world. We're able to export Boeing you know, jets to everyone. We're able to export computers and semiconductors and all sorts of other equipment. And we provide services around the world. So I don't think turning inward and saying we're not going to produce or trade with anybody is a good idea. Having said that, as I said before, having some adjustment and assistance policy for people losing their jobs is important. And to the caller before you, Rick, I mean, I think it's true. If, if the quality is lower, the government is responsible for regulating these things. And the quality could be low, whether it's American or Chinese. I've seen shoddy American goods just as I've seen shoddy Chinese goods. Or And, and the Taiwanese and Vietnamese actually produce very high quality goods, including in Taiwan, the best semiconductors in the world. Uh, and so I think we and, should be- Yeah, a good chunk of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, particularly on the leading edge. That's been why we've been trying to get TSMC, which is Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, to invest in the United States, which is what they're doing in Arizona. So I think we should be careful about thinking about the third world. I, I hear these things. Oh, yeah, it's a third world airport. I said, have you been to the airport in the United States? Any airports? You should go to Singapore Airport, Hong Kong Airport. You'll see what a first world airport actually looks like. It's not in the United States. I can tell you that. Um, I want to come back to... Uh, a few of the local issues here. Let's um, let's bring in uh, Ben in San Francisco. Welcome, Ben. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I thought that Mayor Breed's answer uh, earlier when the conversation was happening about um, houseless people affected in the exclusion zone mm-hmm. uh, was really interesting, and I appreciated her um, discussing the sort of the drug addiction problem and how that obviously plays a huge role. I just find it a little bit difficult to square with some of her policies and uh, ways that she pushes some pretty punitive responses to drug addiction in a lot of cases. And I wondered if there is any sort of information or understanding of how uh, APEC might have a longer term effect on um, sort of that population in particular after some of the violence that those people might face uh, in the street clearing in preparation for the conference. Yeah. Ben in uh, San Francisco, appreciate that and and um, how, how, how you were listening. Um, and Rachel Myro, I'm going to bring this one to you. I'm going to second just with one other uh, comment, which is a listener writes in to say, why does the city designate certain neighborhoods like my block on the corner of Folsom and 13th as places where they send the homeless when they clear out other neighborhoods? There are families and working people living here. It's not fair to the city to explicitly send homeless people to our neighborhood. And Rachel, I think... You know, maybe what's underlying um, both uh, Ben's call as well as that listener's comment is this idea that essentially what the city is going to do is going to be to when move people out of the neighborhood where the fancy people are living and move them to another place um, or or just displace them uh, altogether. Um, what do you think, Richard? What are you hearing from from both advocates and, and people out in the neighborhoods? Well, I, I should say I'm, I'm, you know, I haven't done uh, any serious reporting about San Francisco's response to homelessness and drugs, and I think particularly we're talking about the fentanyl crisis as well. Uh, but, you know, but it, it's worth saying that that uh, fentanyl and uh, drugs will be a major topic for people attending APEC, 
And I also think, too, you know, when we're talking about these uh, exclusion zones, we're talking about just three different neighborhoods, right? Just a few blocks around the Moscone Center, not to not to minimize the impacts of potential displacement, but just a few blocks around Moscone Center, up in Knob Hill, uh, and on the waterfront, and I, you know, I I think it's it's fair to say that there's no hiding this problem. To to whatever extent people get displaced, uh, San Francisco's uh, multiple crises are on display in much of the city, and uh, there's yeah. there's no getting uh, away from that or around that. Uh, and you know, once APEC is over in just a few days, um, all of that will be abundantly clear. Yeah. Um, last couple questions from folks who uh, we're going to strand on the phones, unfortunately, but I'm going to ask their questions here. Um, Peter wants to know, uh, and this is from you, Vinod, you know what? A lot of people weren't aware they could participate in this process at all. Is there a public component to this program, or are you talking more about, like, well, if you got involved in the programs in some deeper way, you could integrate into this process at some point? Well, there was a public component and people could participate, but even now there are still lots of meetings that are taking place that are open to the public. Uh, there's going to be a meeting of the Asia Society. There's going to be a meeting of many other fora that are trying to encourage people to understand what APEC does, why it's important. So I think there are opportunities to participate. You can go to the State Department website. I'm not uh, advertising their website for them, but you can go to their <laughs> website and you can see what kind of activities they have. I'm, As I said, yeah. we're involved in an APEC Study Centers meeting next week in Berkeley, and we're going to have uh, APEC centers from around the uh, 21 member economies speaking about issues which can't be spoken about among the government officials. So we can actually talk about things like diversity and inclusion, which is one of the topics of APEC, but also something we can talk about uh, between amongst ourselves yeah. in an academic context. So there are these fora and there are these civil society groups that should be actively participating in these issues. Yeah. Um, last quick thing before we wrap up. Um, Jeff wanted to know, you know, what is this meeting actually trying to uh, accomplish? And I would just say, like, what is the one thing people should be looking out for um, out of this meeting? I think the most important thing will actually, weirdly, it'll be the summit meeting. And so I think APEC every year discusses a bunch of policy issues. This time it's being an interconnected economy, innovative economy, creating innovative economies, inclusive workforce, thinking about women, role of women, thinking about food security, a lot of things that affect San Francisco very negatively and that we should think about in trying to get a global perspective on these issues. But I think in general, the fact that if President Xi comes here, it will be a very important aspect. And it'll be very important for the city of San Francisco if we are contributing to greater cooperation and dialogue among important countries in the world. And so I think it's that will probably be what APEC of 2023 will be remembered for. And each one has its own distinctive effort. There were some that were remembered for being under COVID unpleasantly <laughs> and others that were remembered for other kinds of yeah. meetings, setting free trade goals. You can visit uh, apec2023sf.org to learn about some of the stuff that's going on. We have been talking about the upcoming APEC Summit. Mark your calendar. Starts next weekend. That's when uh, all the interesting things are going to start happening. We've been joined by Vinod Agarwal, professor of political science and director of the Berkeley APEC Study Center. Rachel Myro, senior editor with Silicon Valley News Desk here at KQED. And earlier we spoke with Mayor London Breed. Thanks to all three of you for joining us. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim.
Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.